Welcome to the Mets Pod. On today's show, spring training is underway. We go through our favorite storylines, Steve Cohen's big expectations for the team, Max Scherzer's even bigger statement on his opt-out clause, and much more. As always, we close out the show answering your mailbag questions. So subscribe to the Mets Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can watch on SMY's YouTube or wherever you get your shows. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mets Pod. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And spring training is underway. We have seen Justin Verlander out there in Mets gear. We have seen Carlos Beltran return to wearing Mets gear. There's a lot of excitement, of course, around the team. Steve Cohen is down there and has met with the media. We heard from Scherzer. We have it all covered today. And like we always do, we'll get into your questions as well. We'll look at some prospects that are in camp. With Joe, we know that's your lane as well. So, Joe, we always joke, this is one of our favorite times of year. It feels like baseball is back. Maybe not officially until you hear Gary, Keith, and Ron, the SMY opening music. But it's nice on social media to see the guys working out, to see everybody together. And, of course, a year where expectations are high. I go through phases with spring training. Like, it, it's it's different throughout the whole month. Like, I'm excited for them to report and we talked about it last week guys just walking in just seeing people in the threads now now we've seen that we've seen the bullpen sessions now i want to see a spring training game and then i'll see three or four spring training games i'll go i've seen enough spring training games yeah let's just get the opening day so uh we're, we're just in the middle phase here where it's like awesome we've seen everyone throw bullpens you, you kodai senga another guy uh with the ghost fork looking like a thing now so uh, yeah, I'm I'm in that phase where, all right, let's see some games. And then this time next week, I'll be probably ready to be done with spring training. I think for me, and I, I get like that as well, as much as I hype it up. And I, I really, one of my favorite parts of sp is spring training colliding with doing draft evaluations. It's easy to have on. It's easy to listen and pay attention when you need to, but you could do other things. But what I've enjoyed so far is uh, Eduardo Escobar mic'd up was phenomenal there's no way around that he his energy around the team is truly unbelievable and just once again seeing everybody back together and we know some of them got there really early because a lot of guys are going to go off to the wbc i mean lindor is going to leave escobar is going to leave on and on it goes the mets have a ton of players leaving for the wbc so it felt like there's an urgency for everyone to get there get some work in get some work done together before they all leave for the gigantic tournament that's going to probably take over this late winter, early spring. And the second thing, you kind of hinted at this, I can't get enough Kodai Senga content. It, whatever pitch view we have, however how limited it is, him striking out Pete Alonso, uh, everybody you know, hyping up the ghost pitch, of course. So I think it's always the new that you look forward to. Guys you haven't seen in a Mets uniform, a guy we haven't seen pitch here in America yet in the big leagues. Those are the things that I find really exciting. Sang has been really exciting so far. The velocity, I believe, was up to 96 in his in his bullpen session. So, you know, maybe he doesn't end up the triple digits guy that he was in Japan. But if he's 94 to 96 and then when it gets warmer in the summer, he gets used to it. Maybe he's up to 98. That's going to be plenty of velocity with the ghost fork, which Pete Alonso said he didn't even see it, which is hilarious because you know, it's literally a ghost fork. And uh, I think that's exciting. And for me, though, I'm going to actually go with a uh, player that was on the team last year and seeing Starling Marte do on field 
baseball activities, take, you know, he's not moving around everywhere and running, but taking fly balls, taking batting practice, considering he's coming off double groin surgery where yeah. they did. Uh, so him being at that point, I think gives me optimism that he will be ready for opening day. Cause it was kind of a, a question coming into the spring. We knew he had the surgery and you know, how would he be held back? But the fact that essentially day one, he's taking batting practice leads me to believe that we should probably be, feel pretty confident about a month from now. And even if he's not Joe, he's out there doing baseball activity, right? It, the thing that always scares you with going into spring training with injuries that carry an unknown tag is a guy showing up and not doing anything because then you have a timeline that is entirely unpredictable, uh, could carry on all the way to the all-star break as Mets fans. We've seen these things carry on maybe sometimes all throughout the year. Shout out to the, uh, the old Mets ghosts and Jed Lowry. Um, it's good. We have a, a new ghost that it's because of what he does on the field, not because we never see him on the field. So I think you're right. Marte is a guy that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know he's a weight room warrior. He's a workout freak. And I think throughout his rehab that probably sped up his recovery or will speed up his recovery is that he has a different workout level, uh, and consistency that will get him back on the field quicker. And the Mets don't need to push this, right? If Marte is not ready to go for opening day, so be it. Tommy Pham plays a little bit. There's no problem with that. That's why you went out and got Tommy Pham. Maybe a young guy sneaks onto the roster. And that is going to lead me to another conversation in a second. But one more positive I want to touch on, Joe. This one's for you. Anthony DeComo tweeted this. Edwin Diaz was upper 90s during his live BP session. It's always jarring to see that kind of velocity this early in spring. It really is. Diaz is somebody that has come in confident. You hear the quotes. He feels like he could strike out everybody. When you strike out over 17 batters per nine innings, yeah, you probably can. And the fact that just to show where he's at already uh, in terms of velocity, it seems like Diaz is going to consistently be hovering in triple digits once again. He's just a freak, man. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really showing now how unique he is versus uh, a lot of the field, especially as relievers. But I think some of that too is WBC related. I think you saw a lot of pitchers are ramping up a little earlier than they would have in the off season. Cause they know that they're only in spring training for so long before they have to go and legitimately pitch and try to get hitters out in a game. And it's not just go out and work on my stuff and get ready for opening day. Like if Edwin Diaz enters the game for team Puerto Rico, which you and I said last week, I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't have to pitch at all. I hope it's a short stay. I agree. Um, but but if he if he does have to pitch and, and close out some games, he has to be ready to pitch to get people out. Absolutely. I think we I think Buck Showalter is quietly hoping for the same thing for every arm Mets related that's going to the WBC and for every fielder hitter related. Uh slide safely, slide feet first, don't get hit by a pitch. Marcana's already been hit. In the spring tra in spring training, it's just unbelievable to see that already by Brooks Raley. The one more spring training update, Joe, that I wanted to get to because I do think this one is pretty significant. Um, not in terms of seriousness of the injury, but Darren Ruff, he's had a cortisone injection in his right wrist, currently limited defensively. He had the MRI. Um, it's it's only arthritis. They've said this is something he's dealt with in the past. I think for Ruff. You know, and you kind of feel bad. When, at least I do. I know a lot of, probably 99% of Mets fans don't. And and to each their own, um, have your own opinion. Watching his presser, 
you know, this is a guy that's well in tune and well aware that things went horribly last year for him and that there's a target on him to produce and there's a target on him from a lot of people to not be a part of this team anyway anymore. And I understand that. We we all wish the Mets had an upgrade at right-handed DH. You look at the left side, Daniel Vogelback has lost 20 to 25 pounds and you can honestly see it. And Vogelback was productive as the lefty DH last year. You can't say the same about Ruff. This is not a great start. Joe, a guy that needed to get off to the quickest start possible to kind of let those demons fall behind him from last year. I don't know if the story is as much about Ruff, but more so there's going to be opportunity with this right-handed DH spot. And it might not be in June. It might not be in May. It might be very shortly in spring games. And I think that just further emphasizes the point of, I'll put aside Francisco Alvarez for a second, and I'll assume or take the Mets at their word that they want him to be able to catch, to be ready to go full go. But a guy like Mark Vientos, man, and Buck Showalter said, there's something a little different in his eye this year. This is Mark Vientos' time. And if he doesn't seize it this spring, I'm not saying it's over for Vientos here. That'd be ridiculous. But this is a massive opportunity for Vientos to take away Darren Ruff's role. Yeah, we have to see what what happens with Darren Ruff. They said it'll be a couple days and he should be able to get back. But we've heard that before, like you said, kind of at the top of the show. And he's got not an upward battle because I think if Ruff is healthy and shows anything in spring, he'll be on the opening day roster. Yeah. But Mark Vientos can absolutely push him. And I think that's kind of an ideal role for him where he's that first base DH. He could spell Pete for a day uh, and play first. He can hit left-handed pitching. That's all Vientos has done throughout his career. So the pressure is definitely going to be on Darren Ruff. And that, I mean, the fans are the fans. The fans have their opinions and uh, justified. Darren Ruff didn't do virtually anything positive for the yeah. Mets uh, since he joined. But the team, I think, is going to look at it pragmatically and say, this is a guy that has historically performed in the role we want him to perform at. But he's got to be healthy enough to do it. And if he's not, he could, like you said, find his way off this roster. If this wrist thing does linger a few weeks and Mark Vientos smashes in spring training, like things can change. That's why we do these spring training uh, activities for the next month and, and change. Yeah, you have to see what guys have left in the tank, what guys can bounce back and, and what guys can get off to a hot start. And the Mets are a team that we've seen under Buck Showalter is managing style for as great as it is. They also were a team, Joe, that we thought last year, and and part of me applauds this, part of me finds it frustrating because I'm a fan at heart. They don't treat every game like the World Series. They let guys work through things. They didn't try to always burn out relievers in high leverage situations. They gave guys that had options to go up and down. They put them in pivotal moments, and sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. And that tells me if healthy, which is a massive factor, Ruff is going to get the chance to work through this. Now, do I think he gets to the all-star break and is absolutely bottoming out and struggling? No, I don't. I think this is a team with significant aspirations to win the division. And you don't just overlook the right-handed DH spot. You don't look at it as, hey, it doesn't really matter that much to our ball club. No, they'll try to figure it out. And that kind of leads me to transition here to Steve Cohen speaking to the media. And it's, it's always fascinating when Steve Cohen talks because – Cohen's a very honest guy, and this is a franchise that for a long time, we didn't really hear from ownership all the time, and now we hear from ownership more than 
it feels like any other team. And when you look at Steve Cohen, you know, the quote that always sticks out to me that he really emphasizes, he always says, I made a commitment to the fans. It wasn't short term. When I do something, I don't do it halfway. And he also mentioned, Joe, that, you know, he did hint at a World Series and he knows it's a huge goal. But Cohen always kind of goes back to something you and I harp on. If you're not trying to win a World Series, what are you trying to do? So, sure, the Mets put a target on their back because they spend and are trying to compete. I guess I think it's really stupid how magnified it's been because there's plenty of other teams doing it as well. And the Mets are building a farm system that eventually they won't have to be the biggest spender all the time. But I like what Cohen has to say pretty much every time I hear from, especially this time of year. Almost everything he says is music to our ears. And it's what some a of baseball that is, fan wants right. to hear and wants to say. Yeah. And, you know, it's obvious he's trying to see through that commitment to the fan base that the, I'm sure he, I think he even mentioned this, that he would take back saying the three to five year thing, uh, just because I don't think he realized at the time how hard it is to win a world series. You can't just straight up buy it. You can't like, you could have the best team on paper. The Mets won 101 games and lost in the wild card round. And I think, I think that was a bit of a, a shakeup to him that he wasn't expecting. He's just like, 101 wins, we'll go on this run, and it obviously didn't work out. But he's invested in everything here. He's invested in the farm system. That's evident. They haven't traded any significant prospect over the last 12 months. At the deadline, you know, people criticize for them not doing enough. But, you know, the top prospect they probably gave up was Nick Zwack, a left-handed pitcher who was a 15th-round pick. And I liked him a lot. He probably would have made my top 20 prospects because he was uh, an emerging guy. But they're holding on to their top pieces. They want to build towards that sustainability. And a lot of people say that, right? Like they'll say, we want to be a sustainable winner, but the actions don't match the words. And with the Mets, it is. And spending, that's another factor that we could talk about, which, I mean, come on. If these small market teams are that upset, they get a cut of the luxury tax that Steve Cohen pays. Bingo. And it goes, it goes back into their pockets. And we can also talk about other teams that spend. The Yankees, granted, a lot of it is because of Aaron Judge's contract, but in overall dollars, the Yankees spent more than the Mets did this offseason. So despite all the moves the Mets made, the Yankees technically spent more overall dollars. And look at the Padres. I mean, their owner was quoted just the other day saying, you know, we're trying to win it all, and people are worried about all these things. I'm worried about if a parade will be on the water or on land. And you look at his roster, Tatis over 300 million, Machado 300 million, Musgrove and Darvish over 100 million, Juan Soto 20 something million, Xander Bogart's 300 million. So while the Mets are spending at an unprecedented rate for team payroll, I don't think they're really shattering the landscape of the sport because what have the Mets done from a, a spending standpoint that has altered the market for the whole sport. Brandon Nimmo got paid basically the qualifying offer value per year. Edwin Diaz got, you know, the biggest closer contract ever, but I don't know if that that trickle down effect is going to be the same. I don't think that means the next closer, Josh Hader, gets $20 million more than Edwin Diaz did or or whatever. And on the pitching side, Max and Verlander got, you know, the record setting $43 million a year. But those are two, three-year deals, so it's 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 just a different structure. And Carlos Rodon got 
26 or 27 a year. He even he didn't even touch 30 a year. So I don't think Steve Cohen has had the negative effect that some want to perceive it. My opinion, Joe, and it's much more layered than this, but very surface level, one of my takeaways that's not spoken of, it feels like a lot of owners, not a lot, because it's not a lot, there are a select few, are frustrated with the cash capacity that Steve Cohen has. And when I say cash, I mean the ability to go get Verlander and Scherzer and pay them over $40 million a year on these short-term deals where that requires a ton of cash up front because the annual average number is so high and a place a lot of teams don't want to go, despite that being their worth, by the way. Let's just call that what it is. Compared to the long-term deals that when you do your revenue and budgeting, like, yeah, we could pay this guy $25 million a year for the next 10 to 12 years because we'll always figure it out with our budget with the team. But when you pay all of that cash up front to veterans, which is a smarter strategy if you have the ability to do it, that's where I think the frustration lies and nobody will come out and say it. And Cohen has rolled into the league and said, I have a ton of money right now. I'm not waiting for our revenue output from 2026 and projecting how this will move. I'm ready to spend here and now for players that can help me win in the next two years. And I think that's kind of one of the many elephants in the room with the frustration with him. And that does not make him wrong in any possible way. And the rules are the rules. They agreed to him too. Play like, to the rules. So, yeah, he played to the rules. They created a tax threshold specifically for him. So you can't be too upset that he exceeded the tax number you created anticipating he would go to that level. And, you know, the Mets are, are reaping it. Like at the end of the day, does Steve Cohen have more money than anybody else? Absolutely. But he's still paying like $100 million in luxury tax. So there is the penalty. The Mets also you know, taking it down to like the amateur level, their first pick in the MLB draft is 10 spots later than it should be because they exceeded the luxury tax by more than 40 million. And that's going to be the case in the 2024 draft too, because they did it again. So that impacts their ability to get the top young players that they can. So there is an impact to the Mets. It's just a matter of does Steve Cohen care? And financially it's, it's evident he does not. And, and one last point on Cohen that uh, Jeff Passan wrote in his article when he interviewed him, um, that Steve Cohen, the percentage that he's spending over the, the luxury tax threshold is comparable to the percentage that the Dodgers did in 2015. Obviously, the number's bigger because of inflation and everything that's that's changed in the game. But I think it's getting a little overblown, the, the crazy impact that Steve Cohen's having on the sport. and. I think you can, I mean, it's all within the rules, so you could justify it. The bigger conversation should be when does this sport implement a cap floor, a salary floor that teams have to spend so you don't have the pirates rolling out. When there's when there's like, a salary cap on the top, that's that's when that'll happen. So uh, I, I, I don't see the MLBPA ever agreeing to a salary cap unless it's a, a significant number, like way higher than the Steve Cohen tax that we have now of 290 it's going to have to be north of 300 and the teams at the bottom are going to have to commit to a minimum and those teams they won't probably aren't going to want to so i i can't envision a salary cap coming but they're going to find a way in the next cba which got i don't need to think about the next cba we talked enough about the last one but i think they're going to try to find a way in the next cba to uh, make it more punitive on steve cohen if he 
chooses to continue to spend at the rate that he is. All right. So let's move on to another uh, kind of financial topic, but more significantly Mets culture related. And that's Max Scherzer. So Andy Martino from SMY asked Max about his opt out because Scherzer signed a three-year deal with the Mets for $130 million. The third year he has an opt out. Scherzer can hit free agency again. And when this deal happened, it really felt like two things. I think when we analyzed it, because I remember when we did our emergency pods for it, it was a situation where you go, Scherzer's either going to opt out because he's still Max Scherzer and he's going to get another two to three year deal and more money or even a higher one year payment or something went wrong that caused him to opt in, whether it's injury, whether it's the fact that he's not the same guy anymore, something along those lines. And it was fascinating, Joe, for Scherzer to speak on this because I don't think the answer was what anybody was expecting. And Scherzer's exact quote was, you have to understand the context of why I negotiated that in and the context of where we're at now. I wanted to pursue a championship in that third year, and that's where an opt-out to me made sense. But obviously, Steve Cohen has demonstrated that we're trying to win the World Series. We're going to do whatever it takes to win. I have to have that insurance because talk is cheap, right? You've got to see the proof in the pudding. And we have now seen what Steve has done. And Scherzer also went a little longer and explained that he knew Jake DeGrom had an opt-out that he's like, if Jake opts out and leaves, are they going to do anything to replace him? And if they don't, well, then I need my opt-out. And he laughed because he said, I think we got the answer to that, Justin Verlander. Joe, this was such an interesting back and forth to me um, and how open Scherzer was to discussing it. Because when you get questions about contractual situations going beyond this season, a lot of guys say, we'll talk about that when we get there. I know Steve Cohen's been asked about Shohei Otani, and he said, we're worried about this year. We'll worry about things next year. And Scherzer's explanation is, goes to show you where the Mets are compared to where they were when he signed. The Mets are a team that when they lose a guy, they don't look at the excuse route of, well, he wanted to leave, and there was nothing we could do. They look at the let's find a solution route. He left. How are we going to not necessarily replace him, maybe even get better in this way. And Scherzer seeing that, one of the most vocal leaders of the entire sport from the player's side, with his work with the MLBPA and everything along those lines, I think this spoke volumes, Joe, of where the Mets Mets are at because of this ownership group and this front office and all the way down to coaching in the roster. It's very thoughtful of how Max thinks about these things. And... I mean, you think of Jacob deGrom. This time last year, we were talking about Jacob deGrom already declaring that he's opting out. Manny Machado. Manny Machado right now. Yeah, he's declaring that he's opting out. And Max is basically like, we'll see. And I think that's the right approach to take. Like you said, something could happen this year. Like he could get injured again. That would say it's a no-brainer. Just take the $43 million for next year. And, you know, at the end of the day, Max is probably wrapping up his career here in the next couple of years. I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I don't know if he's a maybe pitch till low mid forties kind of guy. So he's, he's nearing the end and it's evident that winning is his top priority. And I like, that's the reason he put the opt out in the contract. Cause most players that do an opt out do it. So, all right, the salaries will increase over the next couple of years. And when that happens, I can opt out. And even if I stay with the team that I was with, I could just make more money than I was making. And I think Max looked at it purely from a competitive standpoint and, you know, good for him, Steve Cohen. We were all excited since the day he 
uh, bought the Mets about what the spending was going to look like. And I think it's obvious he lived up to every bit of the expectations, but you don't know until you know. I am sure every free agent, when they go to meet with the team, their GMs and their owners and everything just speak about their desires to win and their plan to win. Well, Max couldn't trust Steve Cohen out of the gate, and I think it's evident he does now. And I, I wonder how much more money he could get if he opts out too. Like, what's what's the ceiling? Is he gonna? Is someone gonna throw him fifty million dollars? I don't know. So, uh, really cool um, honesty from Max, and it, it was good to see. And like you said, speaks to where the Mets are at. That Max didn't just come out and say, "Yeah, I'm probably gonna opt out at the end of the year, but we're gonna try to win now." He's like, "We'll see." And and I really like that. I also think it's the a very intelligent veteran leader answer. It took all the attention away from Max Scherzer's contract and shed a positive light on the Mets. And if you are a veteran leader, the guy that guys look to every day when you're in and out of the clubhouse, that's how you do things to the media. That you made the story about the team and took away all of the story about you. And I guarantee Max Scherzer will not be asked about that opt-out for the rest of spring training. So, yeah. Yeah, we won't be talking about Max Scherzer's contract until late in the season when hopefully he's made every start and he's pitching to a 2-3 ERA. And we're like, well, Max could opt out, you know, and he's been great, so maybe he will. But I totally agree. That's a that's a great way to frame it, that he put the onus on where the team is going and the Max Scherzer contract discussion is, I think, probably on hold for some time. Before we get to our mailbag, Joe, I wanted to kind of take an angle of today's show to highlight a prospect. We talk so much about Alvarez, who's made his big league debut. Same with Vientos and Beatty. Cup of coffee. But a guy that majority of Mets fans haven't seen is Alex Ramirez. And Ramirez is at Mets camp. Ramirez is one of the better-looking athletes to be a Mets prospect, I think, in quite some time. He's tall. He's got length. He can run. Swing looks smooth. But, Joe, I really want to toss this to you. There's going to be some opportunity for Ramirez in camp with all of the guys leaving for such a young player that, listen, if he struggles, you don't really react at all. He made major strides last year in the farm system. We usually do our down at the farm system segment throughout the year. But right now, these guys are all together. What are you looking for Ramirez's trajectory or maybe opportunity throughout this spring? I don't think it's going to be much of one. I I don't think he's going to be in big league camp for all that long, if I'm being honest. I I expect him to probably start the year with high A Brooklyn. I think the idea of bringing him to camp was this time of camp, like the pre-games and pre-action. And he'll he'll make his way into some big league games, probably even after he gets shuttled back to minor league camp. They can just promote him for a day or whatever, and he'll, he'll play a little bit. But I expect it to be a short stay. What I really want to see, and we heard from Carlos Beltran uh, this morning, and he talked about one of his focuses was going to be working with the minor leaguers. And just put Alex Ramirez with Carlos Beltran and let them hang out for a while. Like, it's, I agree. FaceTime with yeah, pros. Yeah, FaceTime with pros. And you know, Beltran knows what Ramirez is going through as a young, highly touted center field prospect with athleticism. And uh, he could play center field, like you said. And you know, at the plate, he could use some work and Beltran's been ahead of the curve on that since back when the Mets signed him. I remember when the Mets signed him back in 04 or whenever it was, he had part of his contract that he wanted them to have this new age at the time, new age P 
pitching machine that had uh, like different color dots for him to recognize the break on pitches. So he could recognize curveballs, sliders. Didn't exactly work out in the NLCS in 06, but Jesus. Um, yeah, <laughs> but but I mean, that was that was the, that was the whole purpose of it. So he's always been advanced. I think he could be a huge help to uh, Ramirez's development. So I'm excited about Ramirez. I've said it on this show before. I think he's a guy when we talk this time next year, he might be a top 25 or so prospect in the sport. I expect big things this year. And I think having Beltron there to help advise him along with the new player development staff, I think uh, could be really big for Ramirez. It's a great point. It's something that these are young guys. Honestly, I, I try not to do this when talking about prospects in any sport, but they are kids, right? Like they are, some of them are still kids or come up in the system as kids, as teenagers and getting them around pros probably goes a long way. You see how pros come in every day. You see the little things they do to take care of their bodies, to get in rhythm, to ramp up. And then, like you said, Joe, the guys that aren't even pros anymore, but were at the top level of being a pro, a guy like Beltron, that's something I've noticed too at the Mets in spring training. They have a lot of people come in that are high profile, former major leaguers and, and try to get face time with all these different players. So you love to see it. All right, before we get to the mailbag, a reminder, you're listening to the Mets Pod. Subscribe to the Mets Pod at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can watch on SMY's YouTube or wherever you get your shows. Mailbag time, Joe, and we got plenty this week, as we always do. This first one is from Nooner, who asked, what pitching prospect makes the biggest leap forward this season? Interesting. I think there's some guys on the lower levels that are exciting, like Javier Atencio, uh, I think he's someone that could make a jump this year. But I, I want to talk about Mike Vassell. He's a guy that's just outside of my top 10 prospects. And I, I believe I have him fourth amongst pitchers. Tidwell. Um, yeah, I'd say he's, I think, fourth amongst pitching prospects. And he's a guy that the Mets drafted in the eighth round. And back when he was in high school, he was considered a top 25 prospect in that class. But he withdrew from the draft to pursue uh, his commitment to the University of Virginia. He goes to Virginia and they kind of change him into like a sinker slider guy when he was more of a upstairs forcing fastball, curveball. He has a slider too, but uh, they changed kind of how he wanted to, how he normally pitched. And he didn't get the results he wanted in college, kind of middling stats, wasn't striking guys out, comes to the Mets and they're like, we're getting rid of that sinker. Late round pick four. too, right? Was he ninth eighth, round? Eighth, eighth, eighth round. Eighth yeah. Yep. Yeah. But this is a guy that obviously had a lot of talent dating back to high school. And he showed up really well at the Arizona Fall League this year. The Mets were really, really happy with some of his results there. And I expect him to start in double-A Binghamton along with Dom Hamill, who I have as uh, my second best pitching prospect uh, in the system. But Vassal's a guy that I think his trajectory is going upwards because he's now just getting more accustomed to this Mets staff and kind of getting back to what made him, you know, a premium talent in the eyes of the industry. So I think 2023 could be a really exciting year for Vassal. Absolutely. Um, that's, those are the kind of picks that can, you know, really turn things around for you in a sense that outside of the first five rounds, you're taking on a guy that maybe is a project as much as he pitched a lot in college. Like you said, Joe, you're really trying to retool what he is. And for him to have that kind of success would be massive for a farm system that's just dying for pro arms. They are absolutely dying to have some pro arms up here 
in about two years. So our next mailbag question is from Christopher Schultz, who asked, with the rumor that the Mets are considering going after Machado if he opts out after the season, which Machado has said he will, does this create a uh, more of an incentive to play Brett Beatty at third base to either create more value as a trade piece or to see if pursuing Machado is worth it if Beatty shows he's the future third baseman? That's been one of the big factors, in my opinion, on the Machado debate. It's evident that Manny Machado is one of the best hitters in baseball, and he can play the heck out of third base. Like, undeniable fact, Manny Machado would be a great addition to virtually any team in baseball. But if the Mets want to know for sure what their long-term at third base is, Brett Beatty does have to get an extended look this year. That doesn't mean he has to make the opening day roster. You could roll Eduardo Escobar out there on opening day, but Beatty needs to get significant play because to that point, I, I would look at less from the trade side because I think you always could shift him to left field, which was the Mets plan if they signed Carlos Correa a month ago. Uh, so you always have that kind of in your back pocket, but I'd love to give him as much of a look as possible at third base. So that way I could decide, do I need to go give Manny Machado 300 plus million dollars? Because that's that's really the factor here is, do you need to do that? And you know, obviously Shohei Otani will be a free agent as well. And we we've talked about that. And you know, could they pursue both? I mean, maybe, but I, I don't know if they're if they're looking at eight hundred million dollars between a couple guys there. So I think I think the Beatty factor is huge, and I'd love to see him get extended run so that way we could decide do they need to go to Machado? Is it because is it a 70%? upgrade or you know what's the percentage gap between what brett Beatty gives you and what manny machado would for sure i mean it's a great question because one you don't want to just push a former first rounder aside that has been phenomenal in the mets farm system offensively as great as machado is machado will be a 31 year old free agent do you get three great years out of machado on a nine to ten year deal I think that deal will take him to his 40s, and it's not the this podcast, and I think every Mets fan listening would love to have Manny Machado. It's The question is not, do you want Manny Machado? The question is, what is the best asset for the Mets to go invest in? And we don't know if that's Manny Machado because the Mets, for the holes they have in the system, third base is not thought to be one of them right now. A lot of people are excited about Brett Beatty. A lot of non-Mets people are excited about Brett Beatty. So it's, I'm not going to call it a luxury because there's a world where Machado might not be a luxury. He could be a necessity, but right now they need to answer that question. Like you said, Joe. So it is fascinating. And I, I think fortunately time is somewhat on their sides. Um, it's nice that this decision didn't happen this off season that you do have a year where right. Joe Brett Beatty's going to get time in the pros at some point. He should. I mean, there's no reason. I mean, I guess unless Eduardo Escobar comes and hits like he hit for September for an extended period of time, uh, I would expect you'd see a ton of Beatty this year. And uh, then it's it becomes a bit of a math equation, too, of what's the value difference between Brett Beatty making $700,000 a year versus Manny Machado making thirty-five to $40 million a year, because you have to assume the AAV will be in that range. So yeah, those are next year problems. You know, Steve Cohen said it. Like I, right now, we're looking at a fantastic Mets team that I, I want to see through. But obviously, this is always going to be a hot button topic, and I think it's going to be this way 
till the end of time, right? With Steve Cohen owning the Mets, we're always going to be looking at the next free agent class and wondering, are the Mets going after the top this? Yeah, it feels like the answer is often, yeah, they'll be yeah. sniff around. So, yeah. all right, the last question for today's show is from Ethan. Uh, Ethan asked, in Steve's interview with Howie, he mentioned the money being poured into player development. Can you give us some specifics into where that money has been spent? Personnel, facilities, technology? Joe, I know this is an area that you're pretty well versed in. Um, obviously, the Mets don't publicly release what they buy wisely. But do you have any idea of where some of this money goes that could be a competitive advantage? A lot of tech, a lot of new people. And obviously, we, we had talked about this throughout the offseason when they brought in Albert to be the hitting quarter, uh, coordinator and they brought in uh, Eric Yeagers to be the pitching coordinator. And it's those are advanced minds. I mean, uh, Jeff Albert was the Cardinals hitting coach. <laughs> and now he's here to come and groom the Mets hitters kind of from the ground up. And Eric Yeagers has the background at driveline, which the Mets are moving into that more research and development analytics mindset and driveline is really one of the at the forefront of that and he also uh, worked with the cincinnati reds who for all the negative things that people say about the cincinnati reds they're actually quite ahead of the curve on the pitching side and you've seen them develop quite a quite a bit uh, on the pitching side and eric yeagers is a guy that's going to come here and add more and uh, this was the offseason of player development just like last offseason was analytics where they spruce that staff up over 30 people instead of being like five now the player development they've made some changes with uh, at different levels and now they have specific people overseeing each part of it that have a track record and a skill set that i think takes the mets to the next level and that's cohen's priority here he wants to be top of class at everything he wants to be top class on the major league team he wants to be top class player development drafting he wants it all. So uh, he's he's sparing no expense. And, you know, talking to people with the Mets, that's one of the the true signs is if you can justify it, he's willing to pay for it. All right, Joe, when we're back next week, the Mets will have played some spring training games. There will be some spring training games on SMY. So we'll have a couple of games to, I don't know if we're going to analyze the games, but you and I get pretty hyped up for the first couple. So we might talk about a couple of things we saw. What are your closing thoughts on today's show? Yeah, there'll be a takeaway or two. Something will have happened. Yeah. That'll be really cool. Jeff McNeil's going to win MVP. Yeah. Uh, Nimmo's <laughs> going to steal 30 bases after never stealing any bases. Something. <laughs> Pete's going to break Judge's uh, home run record. I don't, who knows? Anything could happen. <laughs> oh, but, it's on the table. You know, Saturday, you got Denny Reyes in one game, non roster invite. You got Jose Buteau, um in, in the other game. I think, I think Buteau is pitching in St. Lucie on, uh, on Saturday, but. No, just really excited. Baseball's back, man. And uh, it's it's time. It's time to start thinking about this 2023 team. And it's done thinking about the hot stove. It's done thinking about, you know, what other additions. This is probably your Mets team for all intents and purposes. Um, I know they watch Zach Britton throw, but nothing seems to have uh, come of that. But this is the Mets team. It's a really good team. And I can't wait to just see them take the field and uh, see how they sprinkle these regulars in that are going to the WBC. Will they play a little more early on in the games with the Mets to kind of prepare their bodies for the game? That's something that I'm looking forward to over the first few days. And we will be here for all of it. So a reminder to subscribe to the Mets Pod, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
As always, you can watch on SMY's YouTube channel or wherever you get your shows. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll catch you next week.